Well, good morning. My name is Liz Gray, and I'm one of the pastors here at Incarnation, and I'm so glad that you're here worshiping with us, either live or watching later on on YouTube, and it's just delightful to all be together. It's a little bit warm at times under the out here, but um, I'll offer that as a warm welcome to you, perhaps. But I wonder, um, we're going through the series at the moment called Imitate Me, and what we've done week by week is we've thought about people who in our lives we've imitated, either biblical figures or historical figures or cultural figures or just people we've known. And today I'm going to be talking about some dear friends of mine, some of whom, uh, some of you know them. But some, the thing which I'm going to think about today is how we keep going when things are hard. Now, kids, I know you're all kind of already gainfully employed doing all sorts of interesting things where you're sitting, but one of the things you might want to just think about is how do you keep going when things are difficult? So maybe you're learning a new skill, learning to ride a bike, or learning to read, or learning to write, or learning to play with a new toy. What helps you to keep going when things are hard? And for myself, I've noticed that... Um, disruptions to my routine can sometimes make it hard for me to keep going. So if I'm on vacation, say, I find that when all my kind of normal programs for the day are disrupted, sometimes there are things that I forget to do. Sometimes I forget to pray. I forget to read my Bible. I forget to even think about God. I forget. I forget so quickly. So sometimes little things can knock you off course a little bit. And also, Big things, of course, traumas in your life, sudden things that happen can knock us a little bit off course. Or even new things like a new job, anything which disrupts us. And it got me thinking about how in the Christian life do we develop resilience to keep going when we are knocked off course? How do we keep going when things are hard? How do we learn to persevere? And it made me think immediately of uh, this couple who I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to call them S and T. Well, I'm going to try and call them S and T just because we, they live in a part of the world which is sensitive, and so we try not to um, refer to them too explicitly. Um, if I forget, then I'll slip in their name later on, but um, I'll do my best. So we knew them many, many decades ago in London, and... Um, they worked in London, S as an English teacher, I think at that time T worked for a Christian organization, but I'm not terribly sure. But they have done remarkable things in their life. Over 30 years ago, in 1991, they felt God was calling them to move overseas to what is called, often referred to as the 1040 window, the section of the world which holds the greatest number of the least evangelized people in the world. They did some training and off they went. Now, when you think about people going to different places, there are a number of different passages in the Bible which you might turn to. That one we just heard from Isaiah is one of my favorites. So there Isaiah is in the temple, and he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Such a lovely, positive response. And then God answers him back and says, Go and say to the people, and then a seraph comes by, grabs a burning coal, comes and puts it on your lips. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that would be? I mean, that sounds pretty painful to me, but it's pretty concrete. And you really know you're sent when you get, A, hear God's voice speaking in the temple and B, your lips get burnt by a coal from a seraph. I mean, these are not normal kind of things in our experience. 
So certainly Isaiah at that point knew that he was sent. But perhaps if you think about being sent, you might think of the gospel story that we heard just now of Jesus speaking to his disciples, where he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. They were told not to take anything with them, no bread, no bag, no money, no just to wear sandals, go really simply, no luggage, no suitcase, no spare cloak, no spare tunic. And then to stay there for a while, if people are welcoming, and then what they did is they went and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. That's the kind of response we want to have when we go out with the gospel. We want to see demons flying away. We want to see people leaping off their beds, being healed. That's the kind of thing we long for. This sounds great. Being sent is just so much fun. It's so exciting. And then Jesus, after the res resurrection in Matthew 28, says, to everybody, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Less clarity there on the fact that demons are going to jump and people are all going to be healed, but still a very emphatic go. So it's a lovely, reassuring message of being sent. Jesus sends with us, he goes with us, he gives us authority. And there's all kinds of specific instructions then. And so we can all hear this as a kind of generic, oh yeah, we're all told to go, that's all fine, well and good. And there are generic instructions in the Bible to go, but then there are also kind of specific ones. And Jesus uses multiple and different ways to make us know that we are sent and that we are to go. And our friends, S&T, heard that call in a variety of complex way, and then they went over 30 years ago. And going is one thing, but once you've gone, how do you stay? Staying is a little bit harder. How do we know where to go? How long to go for? What do we do when God just says go and doesn't say come back, when he just says stay? So our friends, S&T, went off to the 1040 window, and they, they have lived in a couple of countries, but they took some of the basic principles from Scripture very seriously. They noted that Jesus was born in a dusty village, and he, the first people who announced his birth were shepherds who were just undesirable people who lived out in the fields. They had no value, no standing, no status. And so they decided that that's what they would do. They would go to people who live in dusty villages and have no standing or status in terms of our culture and environment. And that's where they went to. They went to announce the birth of Jesus to people who work in the fields. Which means that they've landed up in a small town by a lake, reaching out to people in a context where there are no other Christians. There is no church. There is no Sunday gathering, no midweek Bible study, no Friday morning prayer time, no pastor to call them up and check on how they're doing, no WhatsApp groups to share prayer requests. They're just there on their own. So the question I asked them a couple of weeks ago was, how do you persevere? What is it that's made the difference? How do you stay when maybe you're weary or maybe you want to give up or maybe you just want to go home? How do you persevere when you feel a little bit lonely? And they summarized it in three points. They said the way to persevere is, first of all, they stay because they love God 
and, and are loved by God. Secondly, they know that they are loved as part of a community, even if they're not nearby. Thirdly, they love the people they are with. And then T added, they also actually really love technology and they're so grateful for it. So, but we won't perhaps focus on the technology piece today. So how can we imitate S and T as we struggle sometimes to persevere? Well, the first one is obviously crucial, to know that you love God and that you're loved by God. This isn't a really surprising point for a sermon on a Sunday morning. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. But it's just a gentle reminder that those habits of reading scripture build our resilience. And today, most of the readings were simply our lectionary readings, but I wanted to just take a moment to reread a little bit of that Ephesians passage. Because what I want to remind you is that scripture is written with you in mind. And as you read scripture, it can be really important to just let yourself be addressed by the words. So as I reread a few of the verses from Ephesians chapter 1, I'm reading it actually from a translation I'm kind of enjoying, a new one by N.T. Wright called the Kingdom New Testament. Um, so it might have slightly different wording to what you're used to. Just hear these words and remind yourself that this includes you. You might want to shut your eyes or listen out for a word or phrase. This is like a little tiny mini Lectio Divina. Let us bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the King. He has blessed us in the King with every spirit-inspired blessing in the heavenly realm. He chose us, you're chosen in him before the world was made, so as to be holy and irreproachable before him in love. He foreordained us for himself to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus the King. That's how he wanted it. And that's what gave him delight, so that the glory of his grace, the grace he poured out on us in his beloved one, might receive its due praise. In the King and through his blood we have deliverance. That is, our sins have been forgiven through the wealth of his grace which he lavished on us. And it goes on and on, reminding us that we are people who are recipients of God's grace, of his mercy, of his forgiveness. And yes, that includes you. And so I encourage you, if you're ever wondering, does God love me? Come back to passages like that in scripture and just read through it, putting your own name in it, allowing yourself to believe that scripture was written with you in mind. And how do we keep on loving Jesus? Well, we take time in accepting truth. We take time in thinking about him. It, we take time in just being grateful and delighted. I enjoyed David's sermon last week on origin and the encouragement to listen to scripture in as many different layers as you can find. So as you read it and read it again, and read it again, allow yourself to go deeper into this reminder that you personally are loved by God. And may that help your love of him grow in response. And S&T also know that they are loved, that they are loved by others. And I asked T last week how she perseveres and she says, oh gosh, because I know I'm loved and because I know people are praying for me because they love me. Loving people is good. Backing that up with actions is even better. So I would encourage you today that if you're wanting to show someone that you love them, 
you can begin by praying for them and telling them you're praying for them and do it as genuinely as you can. So keep praying for people you love and then also keep asking people you love to pray for you. Invite them into those places in your life where you're a bit more fragile, a bit more vulnerable, a bit more uncertain about what's going on. Now, I am the pastor, so I probably shouldn't say this, but prayer is kind of odd and it's kind of difficult and it's kind of sometimes can feel like a real waste of time because you're just talking and lifting things up and you're kind of like, well, I haven't heard an answer yet. Where's the writing on the wall? But let me remind you that the mystery of prayer is that it's never a waste of time. Just never a waste of time. Whether or not you hear an immediate response, I urge you and encourage you to keep praying, even little bite-sized, hey God, here I am, this is hard. Prayer matters. S had a stroke just over a year ago, and his family and friends have gathered on Zoom every single week for the last, I think it's about 15 months now. It's gone to just about, it's gone to monthly over the summer. And S's recovery has been amazing. But that's what's held them together over the last year, they would say, is the fact that they have known that people have given up time on a weekly basis to pray for them. Even just that act of commitment to that hourly week has made such a difference to them. And they know that God is working through the prayers of the people. The people have been faithful in reminding them that they are loved, that they are worth it, that we have the time and energy for them. So the challenge for us today is, uh, can we be a community who can love you and pray for you? And can we, you be part of a community which loves and prays for others? There was a, uh, the clergy wrote you a little letter last week. So if you haven't seen it, it's online. I encourage you to read it sometime. It's one of the blogs, Letter from the Clergy or Letter from Liz or Letter from all of us. I can't remember what we called it this week. But it's a reminder that we all want to be praying for each other. But the third thing that happened with S and T is that when they went to this dusty village, they committed themselves to love people. Not because they responded to the gospel, not because they said yes to Jesus, but just to love them to go and be present with them, to go and just be part of their lives, to hear their stories, to listen to their complaints, to be with them as they, I don't know, argue about the government, whatever it is that the conversation is at the time, they want to be alongside them. And as they've developed those relationships, they've developed friendships where they love people. And this gives them another reason to stay now, to persevere, because they are in that kind of community. And they've had to ask God to grow that love in them. And I would encourage you as well to think about the various communities that you're a part of. You clearly, if you're here, you're already, even if you're a visitor, welcome. You're part of this community this morning. But you're also part of your neighborhood communities. You're part of your work communities. You're part of your extended family communities. In all those places, there are opportunities to love and be loved. And so I encourage you, to make sure that the, those you are around know that they are seen and known and loved by you. Take time, take time to listen to stories, take time when your neighbor who is a little bit tiresome says, lingers over the fence and you wanna go and do something else, take time. Take time to listen and laugh and hang out and find out what makes them tick and what keeps them awake at night. 
Now, why is it important? Why is it important to practice these things? Because it's easy to not persevere. It's easy to slip up, forget, get lazy. It's especially easy, as I mentioned earlier, when your normal is disrupted. It's easy to doubt. It's so easy to doubt. The enemy makes sure it's easy to doubt. And once you begin to doubt, it's very easy to just keep going down that doubting path. And it's common to have times when scripture feels really boring and dull and dry, too hard to bother with. It's normal to have times when we think that nobody loves us, that God has forgotten us, that our lives are harder than they should be. And it's commonplace to have a season when we feel like we actually don't love anyone else anyway. But I would encourage you, I would encourage you, if you can get your resilience built up by just reminding yourself that you are loved, reminding yourself that you're surrounded by people who love you, and reminding yourself to love those around you, it will build your resilience. It will help you to persevere. This Christian life is not simply popping down to the 7-Eleven for a Slurpee. It really is a cross-country, carry-your-own-tent hike. Make sure you've got the right boots on. It requires a willingness to be as in as we can be, even on really, really hard days when we want to not persevere. And so persevering in the way of S&T requires a willingness to love and be loved. And to be honest, as I look back over my life, that's what's kept me going, or got me out of bed in the morning when things have felt really dark and hopeless. It's what's helped me not do stupid things, irreversible things when you just, that's all you want to do. Just a reminder today, you are loved, you are loved, and I encourage you to persevere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for our friends, S&T, and I thank you that even today as they sit on their balcony. I pray for a breeze as they worship, as they read scripture together. I pray for them as they engage with their neighbors, as maybe they tell stories from the gospels, as they tell people that God is a God who loves them and sees them and knows them. And for us today, Lord, each of us has different places in our heart, some of which are a little bit dark or hurt or bruised, some of them which can be tempted to just give up. Will you continue to remind us through this community, through our friends and family, and through your word, that we are loved and that we have the opportunity to love others well? Will you this week show us times and spaces when we can reach out with a loving hand to love and pray for those around us? Thank you, good Father for all the ways that you love us. Amen.